Chapter 11 Even Turquoise Clang, clonk. Tiffany sat bolt upright, straw tumbling off her. But it was only the sound of a handle clanging on the side of a metal pail. Mrs. Umbridge was milking her cows. Pale daylight shone through the cracks in the walls. She looked up when she heard Tiffany. Ah, I thought one of my ladies must have arrived in the night, she said. Want some breakfast, dear? Please. Tiffany helped the old woman with her buckets, helped make some butter, patted her very old dog, had beans on toast, and then... I think I've got something here for you, said Mrs. Umbridge, heading for the little counter that was two shirts' entire post office. Now where did I? Oh, yes. She handed Tiffany a small bundle of letters and a flat parcel, all held together by an elastic band and covered with dog hairs. She went on talking, but Tiffany barely noticed. There was something about how the carter had broken his leg, poor man, or maybe it was his horse that had broken a leg, poor creature, and one of the blizzards had brought down a lot of trees onto the track, and then the snow had set in so cruelly, dear, that not even a man on foot could get through, and so, what with one thing and another, the mail to and from the chalk had been delayed, and really there was hardly any of it anyway. All this was a kind of background buzzing to Tiffany, because the letters were all addressed to her, three from Roland and one from her mother, and so was the parcel. It had a business-like air, and when open revealed a sleek black box, which itself opened to reveal. Tiffany had never seen a box of watercolour paints before. She hadn't known that so many colours existed in one place. Oh, a paint box, said Mrs. Umbridge, looking over her shoulder. That's nice. I had one when I was a girl. And it's got turquoise in it. That's very expensive turquoise. That's from your young man, is it? She added, because old women like to know everything, or a little bit more. Tiffany cleared her throat. In her letters she'd kept right off the whole painful subject of painting. He must have thought she'd like to try it. The colours in her hands gleamed like a trapped rainbow. It's a lovely morning, she said, and I think I'd better go home. On the chilly river just above the thundering Lanka Falls, a tree trunk was moored. Granny Weatherwax and Nanny Og stood on a huge, water-worn stone in the middle of the torrent and watched it. The log was covered in feagles. They all looked cheerful. Admittedly, certain death awaited them, but it did not involve, and this is important, having to spell anything. You know, no man has ever gone over these falls and lived to tell the tale, said Nanny. Mr. Parkinson did, said Granny. Don't you remember, three years ago? Ah, yes, he lived, certainly, but he was left with a very bad stutter, said Nanny Og. But he wrote it down, said Granny. He called it My Fall Over the Falls. It was quite interesting. No one actually told a tale, said Nanny. That is my point. I weel, we're as light as we feathers, said Big Yan, and the wind blowing through the kilt keeps a man well aloft, you can. I'm sure that's a sight to see, said Nanny Og. I dare already, said Rob anybody. Fine. Would you be so good as to untie young rope, Mrs. Og? Nanny Og undid the knot and gave the log a shove with her foot. It drifted a little way, and then got caught by the current. Row, row, row your boat, Daft Woolly suggested. What a boot it, said Rob Anybody, as the log began to speed up. Why don't we all sing it, said Daft Woolly. The walls of the canyon were closing in fast now. Okay, said Rob. 
After all, it is a pleasing, not ickle ditty. And Willie, you're to keep yon cheese away from me. I dinna like the way it's looking at me. It has na got any eyes, Rob, said Willie meekly, holding on to Horace. Aye, that's what I mean, said Rob sourly. Horace did na mean to try and eat you, Rob, said daft Willie meekly. And you was sae nice and clean when he spat you oot. And who come you ken what name a cheese has? Rob demanded, as white water began to splash over the log. He told me, Rob. Aye, said Rob, and shrugged. Oh, okay, I wouldn't argue with a cheese. Bits of ice were bobbing on the river. Nanny Og pointed them out to Granny Weatherwax. All this snow is making the ice rivers move again, she said. I know. I hope you can trust the stories, Esme, said Nanny. They are ancient stories. They have a life of their own. They long to be repeated. Some are rescued from a cave, very old, said Granny Weatherwax. The wintersmith will chase our girl, though. Granny watched the feagle's log drift around the bend. Yes, he will, she said. And you know, I almost feel sorry for him. And so the feagles sailed home. Apart from Billy Bigchin, they couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, but that minor problem was dwarfed by the major problem, which was that they didn't bother with the idea of singing at the same pitch, or speed, or even with the same words. Also, minor fights soon broke out, as always happened even when feagles were having fun, and so the sound that echoed among the rocks as the log sped towards the lip of the waterfall went something like, Row arg gently, boot the ouch gently, doon the boat, boat, boat diddly, boat stream, boat merrily, boat ah, oh cravens! And with its cargo of feagles, the log tipped and disappeared, along with the accompanying song, Into the Mists. Tiffany flew over the long whaleback of the chalk. It was a white whale now, but the snow didn't look too deep here. The bitter winds that blew the snow onto the downs also blew it away. There were no trees and few walls to make it drift. As she drew nearer to home, she looked down onto the lower sheltered fields. The lambing pens were already being set up. There was a lot of snow for this time of year, and whose fault was that? But the ewes were on their own timetable snow or not. Shepherds knew how bitter the weather could be at lambing. Winter never gave in without a fight. She landed in the farmyard and said a few words to the broomstick. It wasn't hers, after all. It rose again and shot off back to the mountains. A stick can always find its way home, if you know the trick. There were reunions, lots of laughter, a few tears, a general claiming that she had grown like a beanstalk and was already as tall as her mother, and all the other things that get said at a time like this. Apart from the tiny cornucopia in her pocket, she'd left everything behind. Her diary, her clothes, everything. It didn't matter. She hadn't run away, she'd run too, and here she was, waiting for herself. She could feel her own ground under her boots again. She hung the pointy hat behind the door and went and helped the men setting up the pens. It was a good day. A bit of sun had managed to leak through the murk. Against the whiteness of the snow all colours seemed bright, as if the fact that they were here gave them some special brilliance. Old harnesses on the stable wall gleamed like silver. Even the browns and greys that might once have appeared so drab seemed now to have a life of their own. She got out the box of paints and some precious paper and tried to paint what she was seeing. And there was a kind of magic there too. It was all about light and dark. If you could get down on paper the shadow 
and the shine, the shape that any creature left in the world, then you could get the thing itself. She'd only ever drawn with coloured chalks before. Paint was so much better. It was a good day. It was a day just for her. She could feel bits of herself opening up and coming out of hiding again. Tomorrow there would be the chores, and people very nervously coming up to the farm for the help of a witch. If the pain was strong enough, no one worried that the witch who was making it go away was someone you last remembered being two years old and running around with only her undershirt on. Tomorrow might become anything, but today the winter world was full of colour. Chapter 12 The Pike There was talk of strangeness all across the plains. There was the rowing boat belonging to the old man who lived in a shack just below the waterfall. It rowed itself away so fast, people said, that it skipped over the water like a dragonfly. But there was no one inside it. It was found tied up at two shirts, where the river ran under the coach road. But then the overnight mail coach that had been waiting outside the inn ran away by itself, with all the mailbags left behind. The coachman borrowed a horse to give chase, and found the coach in the shadow of the chalk, with all the doors open and one horse missing. The horse was returned a couple of days later by a well-dressed young man who said he'd found it wandering. Surprisingly, then, it looked well-fed and groomed. Very, very thick would be the best way to describe the walls of the castle. There were no guards at night because they locked up at eight o'clock and went home. Instead, there was old Robins, who'd once been a guard and was now officially the night watchman. But everyone knew he fell asleep in front of the fire by nine. He had an old trumpet that he was supposed to blow if there was an attack, although no one was entirely sure what this would achieve. Roland slept in the Heron Tower because it was up a long flight of steps that his aunts didn't much like climbing. It also had very, very thick walls, and this is just as well because at eleven o'clock someone stuck a trumpet against his ear and blew on it hard. He leapt out of bed, got caught in the eiderdown, slipped on a mat that covered the freezing stone floor, banged his head on the cupboard, and managed to light a candle with the third desperately struck match. On the little table by his bed was a pair of huge bellows with old Robins's trumpet stuck in the business end. The room was empty except for the shadows. "'I've got a sword, you know,' he said, "'and I know how to use it.' "'Ach, you did already,' said a voice from the ceiling. "'Chop te tiny wee pieces in your bed while you snored like a hog.' "'Only joking you can.' None of us mean you any harm. There was some hurried whispering in the darkness of the rafters, and then the voice continued, We correction there. Most of us didn't mean you any harm, but dinna fash yourself about Big Yan. He doesn't like anybody very much. Who are you? Aye, there you go again, getting it all wrong, said the voice conversationally. I'm up here and heavily armed, you can, while you're doing there in your wee nighty, making a bonny target, and you think you're the one who asks the questions. So you know how to fight, do you? Yes, so you'll fight monsters to save the big wee hag, will ya? The big wee hag? That's Tiffany to ye. You mean Tiffany aching? What's happened to her? You'll be ready for her when she needs ye. Yes, of course, who are you? And you know how to fight. I've read the manual of swordsmanship all the way through. After a few seconds, the voice from the high shadows said, Ah, I think I put my finger on a wee flaw in this plan. There was an armoury across the castle courtyard, 
It wasn't much of one. There was a suit of armour made of various non-matching pieces, a few swords, a battle-axe that no one had ever been able to lift, and a chainmail suit that appeared to have been attacked by extremely strong moths. And there were some wooden dummies on big springs for sword practice. Right now, the Feagles were watching Roland attack one with a great deal of enthusiasm. Ach, weel, said Big Yan despondently as Roland leapt about. If he never meets anything other than bits of wood that dinner fight back, he might be okay. He's willing, Rob anybody pointed out, as Roland put his foot against the dummy and tried to tug the sword point out of it. Oh, aye, Big Yan looked glum. He's got a bonny action, you must admit, said Rob. Roland succeeded in pulling the sword out of the dummy, which sprang back on its ancient spring and hit him on the head. Blinking a little, the boy looked down at the feagles. He remembered them from the time he was rescued from the Queen of the Elves. No one who met the Knack-Mack feagles ever forgot them, even if they tried hard. But it was all vague. He'd been near crazy part of the time, and unconscious, and had seen so many strange things that it was hard to know what was real and what wasn't. Now he knew they were real. Who'd make up a thing like this? Okay. One of them was a cheese that rolled around of its own accord, but nobody was perfect. What am I going to have to do, Mr. Anybody? he asked. Rob Anybody had been worried about this bit. Words like underworld can give people the wrong idea. You must rescue a lady, he said. Not the big wee hag. Another lady. We can take you to the place where she bides. It's like underground you can. She's like sleeping. And all you had to do is bring her up to the surface kind of thing. Oh, you mean like Orpheo rescuing Unifon from the underworld, said Roland. Rob, anybody, just stared. It's a myth from Ephibi, Roland went on. It's supposed to be a love story, but it's really a metaphor for the annual return of summer. There's a lot of versions of that story. They still stared. Feagles have very worrying stares. They're even worse than chickens in that respect. Work. A metaphor is a kind of lie to help people understand what's true, said Billy Big Chin, but this didn't help much. And he won her freedom by playing beautiful music, Roland added. I think he played a lute, or maybe it was a lyre. Ach, weel, that'll suit us fine, said Daft Woolly. We're experts at looting and then lying about it. They're musical instruments, said Billy Big Chin. He looked up at Roland. Can you play one, mister? My aunts have a piano, said Roland, doubtfully. But I'll get into real trouble if anything happens to it. They'll tear the walls down. Sods it is, then, said Rob anybody, reluctantly. Have you never fought against a real person, mister? No. I wanted to practice with the guards, but my aunts won't let them. But you have used a sword before. Roland looked embarrassed. Not lately. Not as such. Uh, not at all, in fact. My aunts say. So, how do you practice? asked Rob in horror. Well, there's a big mirror in my room, you see, and I can practice the, the actual... Roland began, stopping when he saw their expressions. Sorry, he added. I don't think I'm the type you're looking for. Oh, I wouldna say that, said Rob anybody wearily. According to the Hagger Hags, you're just a laddie. You just need someone to fight with. Big Yan, always suspicious, looked at his brother and followed his gaze to the battered suit of armour. 
Oh, I, he growled, will I'm no gonna be a knee. The next day was a good day, right up to the point where it became a tight little bowl of terror. Tiffany got up early and lit the fires. When her mother came down, she was scrubbing the kitchen floor very hard. Er, aren't you supposed to do that sort of thing by magic, dear? said her mother, who'd never really got the hang of what witchcraft was all about. No, Mum, I'm supposed not to, said Tiffany, still scrubbing. But can't you just wave your hand and make all the dirt fly away, then? The trouble is getting the magic to understand what dirt is, said Tiffany, scrubbing hard at a stain. I heard of a witch over in Escrow who got it wrong and ended up losing the entire floor and her sandals and nearly a toe. Mrs. Aching backed away. I thought you just had to wave your hands about, she mumbled nervously. That works, said Tiffany, but only if you wave them about on the floor with a scrubbing brush. She finished the floor. She cleaned under the sink. She opened all the cupboards, cleaned them out and put everything back. She cleaned the table and then turned it over and cleaned it underneath. She even washed the bottoms of the legs where they touched the floor. It was then that Mrs. Aching went and found things to do somewhere, because this was clearly not just about good housekeeping. It wasn't. As Granny Weatherwax once said, if you wanted to walk around with your head in the air, then you needed to have both feet on the ground. Scrubbing floors, cutting wood, washing clothes, making cheese, these things grounded you taught you what was real. You could set a small part of your mind to them, giving your thoughts time to line up and settle down. Was she safe here from the wintersmith? Was here safe from the wintersmith? Sooner or later she'd have to face him again, a snowman who thought he was human and had the power of the avalanche. Magic could only slow him down for a while and make him angry. No ordinary weapon would work, and she didn't have many extraordinary ones. Anagramma had gone for him in a rage. Tiffany wished she could be that angry. She'd have to go back and thank her, too. Anagramma was going to be all right, at least. People had seen her turn into a screaming green-skinned monster. They could respect a witch like that. Once you got respect, you'd got everything. She'd have to try to see Roland, too. She didn't know what to say. That was kind of all right, because he wouldn't know what to say, either. They could spend whole afternoons together, not knowing what to say. He was probably in the castle right now. As she cleaned under the seat of a chair, she wondered what he was doing. There was a hammering on the door of the armoury. That was the aunt's for you. The door was four thicknesses of oak and iron, but they banged on it anyway. We will not tolerate this waywardness, said Aunt Denuta. There was a crash from the other side of the door. Are you fighting in there? No, I'm writing a flute, Sonata, shouted Roland. Something heavy hit the door. Aunt Denuta pulled herself together. She looked like Miss Tick in general outline, but with the eyes of the perpetually offended and the mouth of an instant complainer. If you don't do as you're told, I will tell your father, she began, and stopped when the door was yanked open. Roland had a cut on his arm, his face was red, sweat was dripping off his chin, and he was panting. He raised his sword in a trembling hand. Behind him, on the other side of the grey room, was a suit of very battered armour. It turned its helmet to look at the ants. This made a squeaking noise. If you dare disturb my father, Roland said as they stared at it, I shall tell him 
about the money that's being taken out of the big chest in the strong room. Don't lie. For a moment, a blink would have missed it. Aunt Danuta's face had guilt written on it, but it vanished with speed. How dare you! Your dear mother is dead! shouted Roland and slammed the door. The helmet's visor was pushed up and half a dozen feagles peered out. Crevens, what a pair of old corbies, said Big Yan. My aunts, said Roland darkly. What's the corby? It's like a big old crow that hangs around waiting for someone to die, said Billy Bigchin. Ah, then you've met them before, said Roland with a glint in his eye. Let's have another go, shall we? I think I'm getting the hang of it. There was a grumble of protests from every part of the armour, but Rob anybody shouted it down. All right, we'll give the lad one more chance, he said. Get to your posts. There were clangs and much swearing as the feagles climbed around inside the suit, but after a few seconds the armour seemed to pull itself together. It picked up a sword and lumbered toward Roland, who could hear the muffled orders coming from inside. The sword swung, but in one quick movement he deflected it, stepped sideways, swung his own sword in a blur, and chopped the suit in half with a clang that echoed around the castle. The top part hit the wall, the bottom half just rocked, still standing. After a few seconds, a lot of small heads slowly rose above the iron trousers. "'Was that supposed to happen?' Roland said. "'Is everyone, uh, whole?' A quick count revealed that there were indeed no half-feagles, although there was a lot of bruising and Daft Woolly had lost his spog. A lot of feagles were walking in circles and banging at their ears with their hands, though. It had been a very loud clang. No a bad effort at that time, said Rob anybody vaguely. You seem to be getting the gnawing of the fighting. It definitely seemed better, didn't it? said Roland, looking proud. Shall I have another go? No, I, I mean, no, said Rob. No, I reckon that's enough for today, eh? Roland glanced up at the little barred window high in the wall. Yes, I'd better go and see my father, he said, and the glow in his face faded. It's well past lunchtime. If I don't see him every day, he forgets who I am. When the boy had gone, the feagles looked at one another. That lad is no having an easy life right now, said Rob anybody. You've got to admit he's getting better, said Billy Bigchin. Oh, aye, I'll warrant he's no such a bunty as I thought, but that sword is far too heavy for him, and it'll take weeks to get him any good, said Big Yan. How he got weeks, Rob? Rob, anybody, shrugged. Who can tell? he said. He's gonna be the hero, come what may. The big wee hag'll meet the wintersmith soon enough. She canna fight that. It's like the hag a hag says. You canna fight a story as old as that. It'll find a way. He cupped his hands. Come on, lads, away to the mound. We'll come back tonight. Maybe you can't make a hero all in one go. Tiffany's little brother was old enough to want to be considered older still, which is a dangerous ambition on a busy working farm, where there are big hoofed horses and sheep dips and a hundred and one other places where a small person might not be noticed until it's too late. But most of all, he liked water. When you couldn't find him, he was usually down by the river fishing. He loved the river, which was a bit surprising, since a huge green monster had once leapt out of it to eat him. However, Tiffany had hit it in the mouth with an iron frying pan. Since he'd been eating sweets at the time, Wentworth's only comment afterward had been, Tiffy hit fish go bang. But he did seem to be growing up as a skilled angler. He was fishing this afternoon. 
he'd found the knack of knowing where the monsters were. The really big pike lurked in the deep black holes, thinking slow, hungry thoughts, until Wentworth's silver lure dropped almost into their mouths. When Tiffany went to call him in, she met him staggering up the path much dishevelled and carrying a fish that looked as if it weighed at least half as much as he did. It's the big one, he shouted as soon as he saw her. Abe reckoned it was touching under fallen willow, you know. He said they'll snap at anything this time of year. It pulled me over, but I held on. Must weigh at least thirty pounds. About twenty, thought Tiffany, but fish are always much heavier to the man who catches them. Well done, but come on in, it's going to freeze, she said. Can I have it for supper? It took ages to get in the net. It's at least thirty-five pounds, Wentworth said, struggling under the load. Tiffany knew better than to offer to carry it. That would be an insult. No, it has to be cleaned and soaked for a day, and Mum's done stew for tonight. But I'll cook it for you tomorrow with ginger sauce. And there'll be enough for everyone, said Wentworth happily, because it weighs at least forty pounds. Easily, Tiffany agreed. And that night, after the fish had been duly admired by everyone, and found to weigh twenty-three pounds, with Tiffany's hand on the scales helping it along a bit, she went into the scullery and cleaned the fish. Which was a nice way of talking about pulling out or cutting off everything that you shouldn't eat, which, if Tiffany had her way, meant the whole fish. She didn't much like pike, but a witch should never turn up her nose at food, especially free food, and at least a good sauce would stop it tasting of pike. Then, as she was tipping the innards into the pig bucket, she saw the glint of silver. Well, you couldn't exactly blame Wentworth for being too excited to extract the lure. She reached down and pulled out, covered with slime and scales but very recognisably itself, the silver horse. There should have been a roll of thunder. There was just Wentworth, in the next room, telling for the tenth time about the heroic capture of the monster fish. There should have been a rush of wind, Barely a draught disturbed the candles. But he knew she'd touched it. She felt his shock. She went to the door. As she opened it, a few snowflakes fell, but as if suddenly happy to have an audience, more began to pour down, until with no sound but a hiss, the night turned white. She held out her hand to catch some flakes and looked at them very closely. Little icy Tiffany's melted away. Oh, yes, he had found her. Her mind went cold, but crystal wheels of thought spun fast. She could take a horse. No, she'd not get far on a night like this. She should have kept that broomstick. She shouldn't have danced. There was nowhere to run to. She'd have to face him again, and face him here, and stop him dead. In the mountains, with their black forests, endless winter was hard to imagine. It was easier here. And because it was easier, it was worse because he was bringing winter into her heart. She could feel it growing colder. But the snow was inches deep already in this short time. She was a shepherd's daughter before she was a witch, and at this time, in this place, there were more immediate things to do. She went into the golden warmth and light of the kitchen, and said, Dad, we must see to the flock.
Chapter 13. The Crown of Ice. That was then. This is now. Ach, Crivens, moaned wee dangerous Spike on the roof of the cart shed. The fire went out. The snow that had filled the sky began to thin. Wee dangerous Spike heard a scream high overhead and knew exactly what to do. He raised his arms in the air and shut his eyes just as the buzzard swooped out of the white sky and snatched him up. He liked this bit. When he opened his eyes, the world was swinging beneath him, and a voice nearby said, Get up here quick, laddie. He grabbed the thin leather harness above him and pulled, and the talons gently released their grip. Then, hand over hand, in the wind of the flight, he dragged himself across the bird's feathers until he could grab the belt of Hamish the aviator. Rob says you're old enough to come doon into the underworld, said Hamish over his shoulder. Rob's gone to fetch the hero. You are a ducky wee laddie. The bird banked. Below, the snow fled. There was no more melting. It simply drew back from the lambing pen like the tide going out or a deep breath being taken, with no more sound than a sigh. Morag skimmed over the lambing field, where men were looking around in puzzlement. One deed sheep and a dozen deed lambs, said Hamish, but no big wee hag, he's taken her. Where to? Hamish steered Morag up in a big wide circle. Around the farm the snow had stopped falling, but up on the downs it was still dropping like hammers, and then it took a shape. Up there, he said. All right, I'm alive, I'm pretty sure about that. Yes, and I can feel the cold all around me, but I don't feel cold, which would be pretty hard to explain to anyone else. And I can't move. Not at all. White all around me. And inside my head, all white. Who am I? I can remember the name Tiffany. I hope that was me. White all around me. That happened before. It was a kind of dream, or memory, or something else I don't have a word for. And all around me, whiteness falling and building up around me and lifting me up. It was the chalk lands being built, silently, under ancient seas. That's what my name means. It means land under wave. And like a wave, colour came flooding back into her mind. It was mostly the redness of rage. How dare he to kill the lambs? Granny Aching wouldn't have allowed that. She never lost a lamb. She could bring them back to life. I should never have left here in the first place, Tiffany thought. Perhaps I should have stayed and tried to learn things by myself. But if I hadn't gone, would I still be me? Know what I know? Would I have been as strong as my grandmother, or would I just be a cackler? Well, I'll be strong now. When the killing weather was blind nature, you could only cuss. But if it was walking about on two legs, then it was war and there would be a reckoning. She tried to move, and now the whiteness gave way. It felt like hard snow, but it wasn't cold to her touch. It fell away, leaving a hole. A smooth, slightly transparent floor stretched away in front of her. There were big pillars rising up to a ceiling that was hidden by some sort of fog. There were walls made of the same stuff as the floor. They looked like ice. She could even see little bubbles inside them, but were no more than cool when she touched them. It was a very large room. There was no furniture of any sort. It was just the sort of room a king would build to say, Look, I can afford to waste all this space. Her footsteps echoed as she explored. 
Nope, not even a chair. And how comfortable would it be if she found one? She did eventually find a staircase that went up, unless, of course, you started at the top. It led to another hall that at least had furniture. They were the sort of couches that rich ladies were supposed to lounge on, looking tired but beautiful. Oh, and there were urns, quite big urns, and statues, too, all in the same warm ice. The statues showed athletes and gods, very much like the pictures in Chaffinch's mythology, doing ancient things like hurling javelins or killing huge snakes with their bare hands. They didn't have a stitch of clothing between them, but all the men wore fig leaves, which Tiffany, in a spirit of inquiry, found would not come off. And there was a fire. The first strange thing about it was that the logs were also of the same ice. The other strange thing was that the flames were blue and cold. This level had tall pointed windows, but they began a long way from the floor and showed nothing but the sky, where a pale sun was a ghost among the clouds. Another staircase, very grand this time, led up to yet another floor, with more statues and couches and urns. Who could live in a place like this? Someone who didn't need to eat or sleep, that's who. Someone who didn't need to be comfortable. Wintersmith? Her voice bounced from wall to wall, sending back ith, 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 until it died away. Another staircase then, and this time there was something new. On a plinth, where there might have been a statue, was a crown. It floated in the air a few feet above the base, turning gently, and glittered with frost. A little bit farther on was another statue, smaller than most, but around this one blue and green and gold lights danced and shimmered. They looked just like the hub lights that could sometimes be seen in the depths of winter, floating over the mountains at the centre of the world. Some people thought they were alive. The statue was the same height as Tiffany. Wintersmith! There was still no reply. A nice palace with no kitchen, no bed. He didn't need to eat or sleep. So who was it for? She knew the answer already. Me. She reached out to touch the dancing lights, and they swarmed up her arm and spread across her body, making a dress that glittered like moonlight on snowfields. She was shocked, then angry. Then she wished she had a mirror, felt guilty about that, and went back to being angry again, and resolved that if by chance she did find a mirror, the only reason she'd look in it would be to check how angry she was. After searching for a while, she found a mirror, which was nothing more than a wall of ice of such a dark green that it was almost black. She did look angry, and immensely, beautifully sparkly. There were little glints of gold on the blue and green, just like there were in the sky on wintry nights. Wintersmith! He must be watching her. He could be anywhere. All right, I'm here. You know that? Yes, I do, said the wintersmith behind her. Tiffany spun around and slapped him across the face, and then slapped him again with her other hand. It was like hitting rock. He was learning very quickly now. That's for the lambs, she said, trying to shake some life back into her fingers. How dare you! You didn't have to! He looked much more human. Either he was wearing real clothes, or he had worked hard on making them look real. He'd actually managed to look, well, handsome. Not cold any more, just cool. He's nothing but a snowman, her second thoughts protested. Remember that. He's just too smart to have coal for eyes or a carrot for a nose. Ouch! 
said the wintersmith, as if he'd just remembered to say it. I demand that you let me go, Tiffany snapped. Right now! That's right, her second thought said. You want him to end up cowering behind the saucepans on top of the kitchen dresser, as it were. At this moment, said the wintersmith very calmly, I am a gale wrecking ships a thousand miles away. I am freezing water pipes in a snow-bound town. I am freezing the sweat on a dying man lost in a terrible blizzard. I creep silently under doors. I hang from gutters. I stroke the fur of the sleeping bear deep in her cave and course in the blood of the fishes under the ice. I don't care, said Tiffany. I don't want to be here, and you shouldn't be here either. Child, will you walk with me, said the wintersmith. I will not harm you. You are safe here. What from, said Tiffany. And then, because too much time around Miss Tick does something to your conversation, even in times of stress, she changed this to, From what? Death, said the wintersmith. Here you will never die. At the back of the Fiegel's chalk pit, more chalk had been carved out of the wall to make a tunnel about five feet high and perhaps as long. In front of it stood Roland de Chum's family. It wasn't his fault. His ancestors had been knights, and they had come to own the chalk by killing the kings who thought they did. Swords, that's what it had all been about. Swords and cutting off heads. That was how you got land in the old days. And then the rules were changed so that you didn't need a sword to own land any more, you just needed the right piece of paper. But his ancestors had still hung on to their swords, just in case people thought that the whole thing with the bits of paper was unfair, it being a fact that you can't please everybody. He'd always wanted to be good with a sword, and it had come as a shock to find they were so heavy. He was great at air sword. In front of a mirror he could fence against his reflection and win nearly all the time. Real swords didn't allow that. You tried to swing them, and they ended up swinging you. He'd realised that maybe he was more cut out for bits of paper. Besides, he needed glasses, which could be a bit tricky under a helmet, especially if someone was hitting you with a sword. He wore a helmet now, and held a sword that was, although he wouldn't admit it, far too heavy for him. He was also wearing a suit of chainmail that made it very hard to walk. The Fiegels had done their best to make it fit, but the crotch hung down to his knees and flapped amusingly when he moved. I'm not a hero, he thought. I've got a sword, which I need two hands to lift, and I've got a shield that is also really heavy, and I've got a horse with curtains around it that I've had to leave at home, and my aunts will go mad when they go into the drawing room, but inside I'm a kid who would quite like to know where the privy is. But she rescued me from the Queen of the Elves. If she hadn't, I'd still be a stupid kid instead of, um, a young man hoping he isn't too stupid. The Knack Mac Fiegels had exploded back into his room, fighting their way through the storm that had arrived overnight, and now, they said, it was time for him to be a hero for Tiffany. Well, he would be. He was sure of that. Fairly sure. But right now the scenery wasn't what he'd expected. You know, this doesn't look like the entrance to the underworld, he said. Ach, any cave can be the way in, said Rob Anybody, who was sitting on Roland's helmet. But you must have a knowing of the cross step. Okay, Big Yan, you go first. Big Yan strutted up to the chalk hole. 
he stuck out his arms behind him, bent at the elbows. He leaned backward, sticking out one leg to keep his balance. Then he wiggled the foot in the air a few times, leaned forward, and vanished as soon as the foot touched the ground. Rob Anybody banged on Roland's helmet with his fist. Okay, big hero, he shouted. Off you go. There was no way out. Tiffany didn't even know if there was a way in. If you were the summer lady, then we would dance, said the wintersmith. But I know now that you are not her, even though you seem to be. But for the sake of you, I am now human, and I must have company. Tiffany's racing mind showed her pictures. The sprouting acorn, the fertile feet, the cornucopia. I'm just enough of a goddess to fool a few floorboards, and an acorn, and a handful of seeds, she thought. I'm just like him. Iron enough to make a nail doesn't make a snowman human, and a couple of oak leaves don't make me a goddess. Come, said the wintersmith, let me show you my world, our world. When Roland opened his eyes, all he could see were shadows. Not shadows of things, just shadows, drifting like cobwebs. I was expecting somewhere hotter, he said, trying to keep the relief out of his voice. Around him, feagles popped out of nowhere. Ah, you're thinking of hells, said Rob anybody. They tends to be on the toasty side, it's true. Underworlds are more of the gloomy sort. It's where folks end up when they's lost, you can. What, you mean if it's a dark night and you take the wrong turning? Ach, no. Like, maybe deed when they shouldn't be, and there's no place for them to go. Or they fall down a gap in the worlds and dinner can the way. Some of them don't even ken where they are, poor souls. There's an awful lot of that kind of thing. There's no a lot of laughs in a underworld. This one used to be called Limbo, you ken, cause the door was very low. Looks like it's gone way down hell since we was last here. He raised his voice. And a big hand, lads, for young wee dangerous Spike, oot we us for the first time. There was a ragged cheer, and wee dangerous Spike waved his sword. Roland pushed his way through the shadows, which actually offered some resistance. The very air was grey down here. Sometimes he heard groans or someone coughing in the distance, and then there were footsteps shuffling toward him. He drew his sword and peered through the gloom. Shadows parted, and a very old woman in tattered, threadbare clothes shuffled past, dragging a large cardboard box behind her. It bounced awkwardly as she tugged at it. She didn't even glance at Roland. He lowered the sword. I thought there'd be monsters, he said as the old woman disappeared into the gloom. Aye, said Rob anybody grimly. There are. Think o' something solid, will ya? Something solid? I'm nae joking. Think o' a nice big mountain or a hammer. Whatever you do, dinna wish or regret or hope. Roland closed his eyes and then reached up to touch them. I can still see, but my eyes are shut. Aye, and ye'll see more we are in shut. Look around ye if ye dare. Roland, his eyes shut, took a few steps forward and looked around. Nothing seemed to have changed. Perhaps things were slightly more gloomy. And then he saw it. A flash of bright orange, a line in the dark that came and went. What was that? he asked. We dinna ken what they call themselves. We call them bogles, said Rob. They're flashes of light. Ach! That one was a long way away, said Rob. If you want to see one close up, it's standing right beside you. Roland spun around. 
"'Ah, you see, you made a classic mistake right there,' said Rob conversationally. "'Ye opened your eyes.' Roland shut his eyes. The bogle was standing six inches away from him. He didn't flinch. He didn't scream. Hundreds of feagles were watching him, he knew. At first, he thought, it's a skeleton. When it flashed again, it looked like a bird, a tall bird like a heron. Then it was a stick figure, like a kid would draw. Over and over again, it scribbled itself against the darkness in thin, burning lines. It scribbled itself a mouth and leaned forward for a moment, showing hundreds of needle teeth. Then it vanished. There was a murmur from the feagles. Aye, you done wheel, said Rob anybody. You stared it in the mouth, and you didn't take so much as a step back. Mr. Anybody, I was too scared to run, Roland muttered. Rob Anybody leaned down until he was level with the boy's ear. Aye, he whispered, I ken that well enough. There be a lot of men who became heroes cause they was too scared to run. But you didna yell or cack your kecks, and that's good. There'll be more of them as we go on. Dinner let them into your heed. Keep em out. Why, what are they— No, don't tell me, said Roland. He walked on through the shadows, blinking so that he wouldn't miss anything. The old woman had gone, but the gloom began to fill up with people. Mostly they stood by themselves, or sat on chairs. Some wandered around quietly. They passed a man in ancient clothing who was staring at his own hand as though he were seeing it for the first time. There was a woman swaying gently and singing a nonsense song in a quiet little girl voice. She gave Roland a strange, mad smile as he walked past. Right behind her stood a bogle. All right, said Roland grimly. Now tell me what they do. They eat your memories, said Rob anybody. Your thoughts is real to them. Wishes and hope are like food. They're vermin, really. This is what happens when these places are no looked after. And how can I kill them? Oh, that was a very nasty voice you just used. Hark at the big wee hero. Dinna bother about them, laddie. They won't attack you yet, and you've got a job to do. I hate this place. Aye, hell's is a lot more lively, said Rob anybody. Slow doon now we're at the river. A river ran through the underworld. It was as dark as the soil and lapped at its banks in a slow, oily way. Ah, I think I've heard of this, said Roland. There's a ferryman, right? Yes. He was there, suddenly, standing in a long, low boat. He was all in black, of course in black, with a deep hood that entirely concealed his face and gave a definite feeling that this was just as well. Hi, pal, said Rob anybody cheerfully. How are you doing? Oh, no, not you people again, said the dark figure in a voice that was not so much heard as felt. I thought you were banned. Just a wee misunderstanding, you can, said Rob sliding down Roland's armour. You have to let us in, cause we's deed already. The figure extended an arm, the black robe fell away, and what pointed at Roland looked to him very much like a bony finger. But he must pay the ferryman, he said accusingly, in a voice of crypts and graveyards. Not till I'm on the other side, Roland said firmly. Oh, come on, said Daft Woolly to the ferryman. You can see he's a hero. If you cannot trust a hero, who can you trust? The cowl regarded Roland for what seemed like a hundred years. Oh, very well, then. The feagles swarmed aboard the rotting boat with their usual enthusiasm and cries of Crivens, 
where's the booze on this cruise, and we're right oot in the sticks new. And Roland climbed in with care, watching the ferryman suspiciously. The figure pulled on the big oar, and they set off with a creak, and then, regrettably, and to the ferryman's disgust, to the sound of singing. More or less singing, that is, at every possible speed and tempo, and with no regard at all for the tune. Row, row, row your boat, gently down the stream, boaty boat, merrily, merrily, will you boat. shut up? Merrily, 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 life is but a dream, boat, boat, row, row, boaty boat, this is hardly appropriate. Gently down the stream, boaty boaty boat, merrily, 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 life is but a dream, boat. Mr. Anybody, said Roland, as they glided jerkily along, hi, why am I sitting next to a blue cheese with a bit of tartan wrapped around it? Ah, that'd be Horace, said Rob Anybody. He's daft Woolly's pal. He's no being a nuisance, is he? No, but he's trying to sing. Aye, all blue cheeses hum a bit. <coughs> sang Horace. The boat bumped against the far bank, and the ferryman stepped ashore quickly. Rob Anybody scrambled up Roland's ragged chainmail sleeve and whispered, When I gee the word, run for it. But I can pay the ferryman, I have the money, said Roland, patting his pocket. You what? said the Feagle, as if this were some strange and dangerous idea. I have the money, Roland repeated. Two pennies is the rate to cross the river of the dead. It's an old tradition. Two pennies to put on the eyes of the dead, to pay the ferryman. What a clever man you are, to be sure, said Rob, as Roland dropped two copper coins into the ferryman's bony hand. And did you no think to bring four pennies? The book just said the dead take two, said Roland. Aye, maybe they do, Rob agreed, but that's cause the deed didn't expect to be coming back. Roland looked back across the dark river. Flashes of orange light were thick on the bank they'd left. Mr. Anybody, I was once a prisoner of the Queen's Fairyland. I aken that. It was for a year in this world, but it only seemed like a few days there, except that the weeks passed like centuries. It was so dull, I could hardly remember anything after a while. Not my name, not the feel of sunshine, not the taste of real food. Aye, we ken that. We helped to rescue you. You never say thanks, but you was oot your skull the whole time, so we didn't take offence. Then allow me to thank you now, Mr. Anybody. Then I mention it, any time. Happy to oblige. She had pets that fed you dreams until you died of hunger. I hate things that try to take away what you are. I want to kill those things, Mr. Anybody. I want to kill all of them. When you take away memories, you take away the person. Everything they are. Tis a fine ambition you've got there, said Rob. But we had got a wee job to do, you can. Oh, Crivens, this is what happens when things get sloppy and bogles take over. There was a big pile of bones on the path. They were certainly animal bones, and the rotting collars and links of rusted chain were another clue. Three big dogs, said Roland. One vera big dog with three heads, said Rob anybody. Vera popular in underworlds that breed can bite right through a man's throat. Three times, he added with relish. But put three doggy biscuits in a row on the ground, and the poor wee thing sits there straining and whining all day. It's a wee laugh, I'm telling you. He kicked at the bones. Aye, time was when places like this had some personality. Look, see what they've done here, too. Farther along the path was what was probably a demon. It had a horrible face, with so many fangs that some of them must have been just for show. There were wings, too, 
but they couldn't possibly have lifted it. It had found a piece of mirror, and every few seconds it took a peep into it and shuddered. Mr. Anybody, said Roland, is there anything down here that this sword I'm carrying could kill? Ah, no, no kill, said Rob Anybody. No bogles, no such. It's no a magic sword, see. Then why am I dragging it along? Cause you're a hero. Who ever heard of a hero without a sword? Roland tugged the sword out of its scabbard. It was heavy, and not at all like the flying, darting silver thing that he'd imagined in front of the mirror. It was more like a metal club with an edge. He gripped it in both hands and managed to hurl it out into the middle of the slow, dark river. Just before it hit the water, a white arm rose and caught it. The hand waved the sword a couple of times and then disappeared with it under the water. Was that supposed to happen? he asked. A man throwing his sword away? yelled Rob. No, you're not supposed to bung a good sword into the drinky. No, I mean the hand, said Roland. It just... Ach, they turn up sometimes. Rob anybody waved a hand as if midstream underwater sword jugglers were an everyday occurrence. But you've got no weapon, new. You said swords can't hurt bogles. Aye, but it's the look of the thing, okay, said Rob, hurrying on. But not having a sword should make me more heroic, right? said Roland, as the rest of the Feagles trotted after them. Technically, I, said Rob anybody reluctantly, but maybe also Maudid. Besides, I have a plan, said Roland. You have a plan, said Rob. Yes, I mean I. Ritted Doon. I've only just thought of... Roland stopped. The ever-shifting shadows had parted, and a big cave lay ahead. In the centre of it, Surrounding what looked like a rock slab was a dim yellow glow. There was a small figure lying on the slab. Here we are, said Rob anybody. That wasn't so bad, eh? Roland blinked. Hundreds of bogles were clustered around the slab, but at a distance, as if they were not keen on going any closer. I can see someone lying down, he said. That's Summer herself, said Rob. We have to be canny about this. Canny? Like, careful, said Rob helpfully. Goddesses can be a wee bit tricky, very image conscious. Don't we just, you know, grab her and run, said Roland. Oh, aye, we'll end up doing something like that, said Rob. But you, mister, will have to be the one to kiss her first. You okay with that? Roland looked a bit strained, but he said, Yes, uh, fine. The ladies expect it again, Rob went on. And. Then we run for it, said Roland, hopefully. Aye, cause probably that's when the bogles will try and stop us getting away. It's people leaving that they don't like. Off you go, laddie. I've got a plan, thought Roland, walking toward the slab, and I'll concentrate on it so that I don't think about the fact that I'm walking through a crowd of scribbly monsters that are only there if I blink and my eyes are watering. What's in my head is real to them, right? I'm going to blink, I'm going to blink, I'm going to... Blink. It was over in a moment, but the shudder went on for a lot longer. They had been everywhere, and every toothy mouth was looking at him. It should not be possible to look with teeth. He ran forward, eyes streaming with the effort of not closing, and looked down at the figure lying in the yellow glow. It was female. It was breathing. It was asleep. And it looked like Tiffany aching. 